My guest today is three-time Emmy Award-nominated producer Mia Moravis. Mia is also a Remy Award-winning filmmaker, an award-winning actress, ASCAP Plus award-winning songwriter, and a Broadway, Off-Broadway, and West End producer. She has many other credits to her name, which you can read about in the show notes. Welcome, Mia. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here. First of all, help me understand what a producer does. <laughs> okay. A Broadway producer is an ambassador for the show. A Broadway producer raises money for the show. Broadway shows, as you may surmise, cost millions and millions of dollars. And so there are lead producers who originate the show with the creative talent, if you will. And there are producers that are in a tier below them. Some are called above the title and some are below that, below that tier. We're PR for the show, more on a person to person level and in a person to group level. We draw interest toward the show. We, and hopefully that interest turns into ticket sales for the show. And we are involved in meetings for the show, which also involve marketing for the show and anything that the investors need to know for the show. Importantly, we are investor liaisons for the show because we garner money from people for the show and that is an investment for them and therefore sometimes a risk. And is that similar? Are there any differences between producing uh, a Broadway show versus producing a television show versus film or songs or whatever? I think that a Broadway show is, what, from my own experience, having been in television and film, um, a Broadway show is very similar to me, especially film and the generation of one's own music. And the reason for that is because you're generating funds for a project you very much believe in and you have to get excitement for those funds, excitement about the project for those funds to come toward you. <laughs> and come to you and you have a great fiduciary responsibility when you're a Broadway producer too. Sometimes producers like people who have their own projects invest in their own projects as well. They may invest in a Broadway show as well. I've invested in a couple of shows, but I don't invest a lot. I tend to, inv I tend to invite investors to come. But yes, I would say as far as the comparison in my own experience, Broadway producing is similar to film, producing your own music. And in television, it's a little bit different because advertising sales and executive producers are the ones who go out and get the money predominantly in television. And also with recordings as well, uh, music recordings as well, and film. So for me, as far as the hands-on aspect of making a project happen and raising money to do so, I have that first linear analogy I gave you. And then in more general terms, executive producers and producers can be the same thing depending on the genre of media. And tell me your story of how you got into it. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm a voting member of the Grammys. I'm in my 28th year. And in 2014, I met Van Dean who is dubbed the Dean of Broadway. <laughs> He's a very nice man. He's president of Broadway Records, owner and president of Broadway Records. And the cast recording, which he carried on Broadway Records of Matilda, the revival Matilda on Broadway, was nominated for a Grammy. And that's how we met because I'd seen the show twice and bought the 
podcast recording and loved it and met him via the Grammys. Then fast forward to uh, July of 2000, that was uh, March 2014. And then in July of 2017, uh, Ben and I had kept in touch and um, I was most excited to get to know him because he's a very nice man and he became my mentor as far as everything Broadway goes. And what had happened was he had a campaign for executive producers. So see, here's that comparison to recording. Executive producers for A Rockin' Midsummer Night's Dream, which was a cast album to help the youth of Newtown Sandy Hook. And it was a wonderful musical, I believe written by Eric Spekar at New Arts in Newtown Sandy Hook in order to excite the youths and to help them heal for what happened. And it was a double, double CD. It was wonderful. And I literally climbed a mountain to get the money to be an executive producer of that. So then, <laughs> so then you fast forward to December 5th of 2015 and Van and I were on the phone and I said to him, we were talking about several things and I was asking him if he did intend to try to bring uh, Rock and Midsummer Night's Dream to Broadway. And then I asked him one more question of six words. What else are you working on? And he told me about Anastasia Broadway and the timing of it and the planets all lining up. And I said, Ooh, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a producer? And I was sitting in the car. It was dark out. It was December 5th, so it was cold out. But I, was, I just didn't want to lose the phone call. And so on the other phone, I was texting Chris saying, I'm outside, I'm on the phone, I'll be inside in a minute. <laughs> and, um, and I just learned as, as much as I could in that telephone session from Van about what it would mean to be on his Broadway producer team. And so I was able to do that. I was able to find three investors. The third one was found on New Year's Eve. And so I texted him and I said, I have a third one, I have a third one. And he said, I'm at a party. And I said, I'm at a romantic dinner with Chris. <laughs> and he does, haha, just the signature sheet for now. <laughs> And so that is how I got involved with Broadway as far as um, my first Broadway show was Anastasia. It was, if it's okay to just say it from a personal standpoint, it was a really beautiful show for me to be involved with because it was written by Terrence McNally and the music is by Aronson Flaherty, Lynn Aronson, Stephen Flaherty. And the theme of it is, you know, the Princess Anastasia, is she real or is she does she really have you know amnesia it's that story and the romanoff family and the the last princess who survived the attacks but the theme of it is home love family in that very same year i reunited with my dad after decades mm -hmm. apart and met my sister so oh, wow and then oh. um and then that was all she wrote so i believe that all the muses deities and gods aligned planets so that all those beautiful things could happen at once. That's great. Well, and it also it took your enterprise and connections of meeting the right people, being building relationships with them and asking good questions. <laughs> That's very kind. As far as if it's OK to talk a little bit about the investment aspect of mm -hmm. being used on Broadway. Once in a great while, in particular, it happened with one man came up to me at a party and he was 
very, very, you know, uh, direct with me. And he said, so how do you become a, a producer on Broadway? Just throw money at it. And, <laughs> and I was a, li a little bit taken aback. And I said, well, no, it's, it's not quite that simple. Even in citing to you today what a producer does, there's myriad flavors every hour of every day. And we can talk mm -hmm. about, you know, especially now, later. But mm -hmm. um, every single moment of every single day, is the show is on your mind. And you're a liaison to the investors. You're a liaison to them for their taxing purposes. You have to make sure they get their K-1s. You have to forward to them all the PR for the show. So you have to let them know the status of the show. Um, there's nothing more delicious than when a show recoups and the investors get their money back and their profits. And that has happened, I'm proud to say. And, um, and you always want to be involved with a show that'll do that, right? But so it's not just flinging money at a show. It's also paving relationships with people who would allow you to approach them for that money. As I say, Broadway shows cost millions and millions of dollars. And so what I said to him very gently was, well, let me ask you this. And I promise I'm asking from a pure heart, not being sarcastic or anything, but how many people do you know that you could walk up to and say, you know, that you paved a relationship of trust with and you could walk up to and say, do you have $150,000 for this Broadway show? Do you want to do it? Do you want to invest in the show? Here's, here's why I like the show. And then, Maybe not that, maybe a hundred, maybe only 50, 25,000, 10,000, 5,000. How many people do you know that you can walk up to and say, I have a project, I have a show for you that you'll love. I know you'll love it. And here's why I love it. And what do you say? These conversations that I have with my investors now after I'm, I'm in my sixth or seventh year now, these conversations are very fast. A no is a no and I never push. You also have to be a consummate diplomat. You may be passionate about a show and someone may say, you know, I'm going to sit this one out. And that's happened to me. In that particular case, when they sat the show out and it recouped, it was hard for that investor to have sat it out. And I said, look, my job is not to push you so that I can get another notch in my belt of being a Broadway producer. My job is to tell you what's there because I'm your liaison to Broadway. And whatever excites you is what you invest in. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to try to push you further so that I get something out of it. It's your money. It's not mine. And I think that if you enter such a producership with that attitude, because yes, you're excited. You're really excited. There's another show on Broadway that you may be able to help along and have involvement with. But you also have to have self-awareness 101 and understand that if someone says no, it's their money and you don't push them. If I sense that there's a hesitancy, I'll say, I sense you're hesitant. I accept your no. I'll move on. If you change your mind, let you know. And here's the deadline to change your mind. Investors who invest in anything know that any investment is a risk. So can you accept a loss if it happens? And I feel very fortunate that I've followed my gut with which shows to be involved on Broadway. And I haven't suffered incredibly nor have my investors because of it and that's good is there a level of production is there a, a role in the strata that uh, that you aspire to what kind of producing role would you like to have if it's not exactly what you're doing now 
I am very happy to have gone with Van from a producing partner on several Broadway shows. I've co-produced an off-Broadway show with Van, which was lovely. It was in 2016 it was at the York Theater. It was uh, Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, with Broadway's best kids, but so best youth actors. So for the first time, we didn't use adults. That was my first off-Broadway co-production. That was wonderful. I have to interrupt you to, to tell you that I actually performed in that for Clark Gesner. In oh. 1973, wow. would you believe? I'm applauding you, so keep that on the tape. <laughs> okay, please continue. Oh, so all I was going to say was that was my first co-producership of an, uh, it was my first off-Broadway show when I was a co-producer. Tony Hayes and I were co-producers together, and we were with Van on that. And then on Broadway, you're on a producing team, you know, when you're starting out. And then I did those, uh, The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical, and uh -huh. of course, Anastasia, my very first one. And then I became a producer above the title. And that's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. A nice progression because that's when you get to see your name on the posters. <laughs> you know? and, and you know, that just means that you, you were able to do more for the show, for that particular show, depending on the levels that the lead producers put in place for the producing teams. And also the upcoming Marie, which is about the dancer who inspired Degas for mm. his little dancer sculpture. And that stars Tyler Peck from the New York City Ballet. And that's my second above the title. And that will very likely be 2021, 2022 now. So, and then after that, one would become a lead producer. And that's where you're in the very front of things, you're probably the one who originated the project. Mm -hmm. Like our lead producers, for instance, on Jagged Little Pill, which is my first above the title, and Maria's my second above the title, are Eva Price, Arvindith and David, and Vivek Tuari. And Vivek approached Alanis almost nine years ago, Alanis Morissette, and said, I'd love to do a musical about, you know, with your jagged little pill music. And Alana said, I don't want it to be a biography, you know, but yes, let's talk. And then next thing you know, eight years later, it debuted in 2018 at American Repertory Theater, directed by Diane Paulus, and an incredible arrangements by Tom Kitt, choreography by Sidi Levy-Chargui. And it was just, and it's just an incredible show. And so those are lead producers who start kind of the advent of a project. I have a project in mind to which I'd like to be a lead producer. A lead producer also has an incredible amount of responsibility. One thing I learned early on, and this is something that's very important if you want to be a producer on Broadway, is to be honest about what you think you can do, what your attributes are at that time for that show. Because the worst thing you can do is say that you can bring anything toward a show and then you don't. Yeah. And I, it didn't happen to me and it wouldn't because I'm always honest with myself. But it, and, and I've had to say no. I've had to say, you know, I've got stuff in the pipeline two years, three years out, and I can't move off of those projects. And so I, I'm at a no point right now. I'm turning things down, mm. which, you know, which is admirable in one way. But, you know, sometimes if you really want to do something and you can't, it just is. But, you know, Van taught me early on too, you can't do everything. <laughs> so, and that's like life. You can't do everything, yeah. but you yeah. can do a lot. 
you can have fun. But the lead producers really have an incredible amount of responsibility upon their shoulders. We do too, but they do because they're the ones who started it. If something doesn't come through, they are the ones who have to make it come through. So you also don't ever want to be a person that even accidentally promises something and doesn't come through. Mm -hmm. You have to understand where you are and you have to understand where everyone in your circle is mm -hmm. and you have to understand where everyone in your investment circle is because you don't want, you never want to go crying to someone because you made a really big mistake. You know, mm -hmm. someone asked me one time, how is it compared to community theater? <laughs> um, well, in community theater, nobody, you don't want to make mistakes there either. Every, we all love theater and we all want to participate. The stakes are much lower. And as I say, these shows cost millions of dollars, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and you can't promise to be, what is it they say, cog in the wheel mm -hmm. and then not follow through with that yeah. because, you know, it can, it can hurt your reputation and rightfully so. So is that, if somebody were interested in pursuing something like this, is community theater where they should start? Are there other paths to becoming part of a production team on Broadway? I think that that's a good place to start just to understand how to get a show up and onto a stage. You know, even from as basic as, you know, if you, if you were the theater troupe and you're not doing something in the public domain and you want to do a Neil Simon play, for instance, or a Strange Loop when the rights become available, Michael Jackson's Strange Loop that just won all sorts of awards. It's a gorgeous, incredible play. You're going to have to purchase those rights. So your theater company will have to purchase those rights. You'll have to have production insurance. So if somebody trips, they can't sue you. You know, so it's a very... It's a very good, if you're a proper little community theater organization who has all your proper measures in place, it's a very good way to get your, get your feet wet. And I think that it's a great learning process and then you can go from there to regional or summer stock and then you can go on to, the, to Broadway or off-Broadway. Some people go off-Broadway then Broadway. In my particular uh, skill set, I was able to go right to Broadway after community, regional, and summer stock, and right up there. You know, I, I, and I did community and regional and summer stock all in the, the opposite way and time frame that everybody else did. I did summer stock first, then I did regional, then I took a break because I went to film and television. I was with PBS uh, station, member station for a while down in the DC area, and then I went back into community theater and, you know, to see what's everybody doing now, and then back into summer stock, and then to Broadway. And, and all the other stuff was as a performer and I produced as well. In community theater, I will say this, it's easier to produce and perform, you know, to have both of those tasks mm -hmm. than it is as you go farther on because of the responsibility factor getting heavier and heavier. And probably the competition factor too. Uh, um. <laughs> Are there books or does one have to learn from a mentor? I was given a big fat book on how to produce. Written by somebody in a theater company or was it published um, for the world or? Yeah, published for the world. And it was given to me as a gift and I was already producing and I was already on my way. And mm -hmm. it wasn't that I felt I was too good to read the book, 
but I, I did, you know, look through it and look at it. I particularly went to parts of the book that I wasn't familiar with so that I could get that mm -hmm. right away faster mm -hmm. than, you know, anything I hadn't met. It was very, very professional and predominantly mirrors everything that's happening now. So it, it did give you valid information, that, but it just was stuff you mostly already knew? Yes, only because yeah. of the time in my life when the book was given to me as a gift. Sure, sure. Because if it was given to me, you know, 20 or 30 years before, mm -hmm. then that would have been the Bible for it. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. But they say the experience is the best teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so, would you recommend this book? I found it to be incredibly thorough and incredibly factual, but a lot has changed since the uh, book was okay. written. Okay. I wouldn't recommend it now. But, and that's why I'm not citing who the author okay. is because they could very well be making an updated version of it as we speak. Um, Are there resources that you would recommend? Anything that, that somebody just wanting to get an idea of what's involved could read? I can gather that together for you. Please, for, for, I, I can put it in the show notes. Okay, so what qualities would you say a person needs in order to pursue this as a as a career as a as a passion what 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 type of person would make a great beginning producer i will say to you that pretty much everyone i've met is a kind person a decent person a person who sees the big picture in something a person who's not incredibly out just for themselves these shows a Broadway show takes a village. Any show takes a village. It really, really does. And one of the things that I have seen in the Broadway world is there really isn't, because the stakes are so high too, being honest and decent and productive is what counts. There's very little competition there's just no time for it if, if you if you're going to get a show up you've got to get a show up you've got to do everything you do in any vocation if you work hard and smart too and you keep your focus and you do what you've got to do and you know what that is and if you don't know ask a lot of questions because everyone's happy to answer then you'll be successful and that's the thing to remember is that you have to be your own best steward you have to mm -hmm. listen to your gut and it's okay. It's just like life in the sense that, you know, not everybody you meet, you may want to go for lunch with someone, but not party with them. You may want to party with someone, but not do business with them. You know, it's, it's that all those principles of who you are and what makes you navigate mm -hmm. the earth and how you know yourself is really, really important. There just isn't a ton of time. There's plenty of time for kindness and decency and niceness. There's not a lot of time for anything negative that's going to halt the progress of getting things onto the stage. That's wonderful to hear. I think <laughs> that because Broadway sounds so incredibly glamorous to me, the idea that people would be kind, I would not have thought that. I, it makes me believe that it is approachable and oh, I'm, it, I'm very happy to hear that. It is. And I mean, I'm a late, I'm living proof and I'm a late bloomer too, you know, 35 years or 51, depending on the fact that when I was six, you know, I stepped, the first time I stepped on the stage. And 35 years ago, uh, it was 35 years, now 40, the first time I saw the Tonys. I was overseas 
and I had a summer uh, summer in Boston and I was apartment sitting for someone and I turned on the TV in June and there were the Tony Awards and I just I didn't even know what they were almost I was I was enthralled and it took that long and so what do you do what do you do when you're trying to get somewhere you know you you keep working toward getting somewhere and that's what producing a show is like you know you have to keep working and working toward you got to put your eye on the tiger so to speak and stay focused but it doesn't mean you're having an awful time while you're doing it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and the good thing about being a broadway producer is you're you're doing what you're passionate about and you're doing what makes you feel incredibly happy one of the things that i would also say is really important is self-awareness some people don't always want to hear about what you're doing especially if it's not what they're doing and it's really important also to make sure you listen well because there's so many gems that you miss if you're the only one talking which i hope doesn't feel ironic right now because i just went on a little bit of a for you <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i'm interviewing you for your opinion <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the broadway situation during a pandemic how did it affect you well, there's, there's pre-pandemic, smack dab in the middle of pandemic, and, and now we're in, still in pandemic and how it's being dealt with. I, just to give you a brief situation on how it suddenly affected us, Chris and I were overseas for, I had two shows in London's West End, Be More Chill, went from Broadway to London's West End, and also I became involved with DreamWorks Animation, DreamWorks Theatricals, uh, The Prince of Egypt. And so we went over there for those two shows. And I got to see my dad too, which of course, and Rosemary, which is the most important thing. But we went over there and then we came home on the 27th of February. And then within, and we heard a little bit in the airport, you know, like on the news. And then within 48 hours, we heard there were COVID cases in London. And for some reason, I mean, I'm always careful. I always wipe down the tray table. I always bring wet ones on the plane, you know? <laughs> and for some reason, I gave on the plane over and back. I gave Chris a bunch of them and I took a bunch of them and I literally wiped down everything I would touch. For some reason, it just, and there was nothing that had been said yet. Mm -hmm. And I just was doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I did. So we get home, uh, we hear, you know, there's cases in London of COVID-19. And so we're like, gosh, you know, I wonder if we should go get tested. You know, it turns, we didn't, we're fine. Um, we had no symptoms whatsoever, um, even 14 days later. So then just a couple of weeks later, we picked up our keys for New York on, for the New York apartment on January 27th but we had to write out our contracts in New Hampshire till March 31st, including our lease. So we did two not packed van trips, <laughs> you know, back and forth. And then the final trip would be the car, of course. But the second trip was March 12th. And we were gonna stay the whole weekend because we had friends and investors coming in for, you know, I had tickets to company, I had tickets to Jagged Little Pill, we were gonna go here, we we're gonna go there, more shows. and. What happened was we say, let's not keep this van parked in Manhattan. 
all weekend. It's big and it's, you know, it's clunky. And let's just do a day trip. We've done it before. And so we came to the apartment, put all our stuff in the apartment, didn't move it around or anything, just put it there. Got back in the van to drive, real fast trip. Easy peasy, Louisy. And then we're, we're on the way home in the van and I said, Chris, Mayor de Blasio has just shut Broadway down. Jeez. And that's March 12th. Our, our friends, investors are in a plane from Texas and they're an hour from landing in New York and they have Wi-Fi on the plane and they say, oh, Broadway shut down. So they did not expect to see us on the 12th because, you know, they were arriving and, you know, you're just getting settled and everything. But I, I said, well, you're not going to see Jagged Little Pill tonight. Uh, I'll get you over to Birdland. So got them over to Birdland. The restaurants had not closed yet. Had a lovely time, just absolutely loved it. They went there. Then on Friday the 13th, <laughs> uh, Susie and I, Susie West and I went back to Manhattan. Chris did not. Both of us thought, don't come back. So we went back. We had a lovely time. The restaurants were not closed yet. We could not go see. I had tickets for company for six of us. Mm. That was, so we went back to Birdland. Thank God mm -hmm. for Birdland. And then we had, we went to Le Marseille for a lovely French meal. Very, not crowded at all. In fact, while I was at Birdland, Glasshouse Tavern and Marseille were calling us, Marseille, pardon me, were calling us to um, say, you are coming, right? You are coming. We're like, yes, yes, yes. So oh, please don't close. Mm -hmm. So we did those. And then they managed to get themselves ticket, switch their tickets to go home Saturday instead of Sunday because we couldn't go to the Saturday night shows either. Mm -hmm. And we did the Russian tea room. We did their brunch. <laughs> and then we had a little bit of time in Times Square and then we just got them into a cab at three and they went back to Texas. Mm -hmm. And then Susie and I did stay that night and went back to New Hampshire. And that, that by that time, everything was going crazy. Um, the Broadway League has been incredible. They have 27 task forces to determine how and when will be best for Broadway to come back. At first they said everything's closed, tickets will be refunded to June 6th, I believe it was, and then September 9th-ish or 6th or something. June 3rd, September 6th, and then now it's into next year, January 3rd because it's just, you have to look at so many factors, a Broadway show being what it is, you know, can you adequately socially distance people, enforce safety measures, and have the show be able to afford to be open in a situation mm -hmm. like that on a day, on any given yeah. day, not yeah. just long run. So the Broadway League is incredible. During all of this, if it's okay to say, this was, this was a benchmark I was very appreciative of, so five days after Broadway was shut down, I was accepted into the Broadway League as a member on St. Patrick's Day. Oh. So that was just incredible. And I was very happy about it. And so I said, nobody's gonna take that from me. Everybody, Broadway, off-Broadway, and of course, everywhere in the country now are waiting to see when is the best way and the safest way to return. If, if we can return and when, because 
safety comes first. Mm -hmm. That is the first thing to consider. You have to consider the people who work in the theater. You have to consider the musicians. You have to consider the backstage crew. You have to consider the actors. You have to consider the audience. Literally everyone who's involved with a show in a theater, you know, has to be considered if it's not safe. You know, you just can't plow forward. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you can do? What are you doing in the meantime? What kind of prep or planning can you do? I'm deferring to the lead producers who are keeping us very well informed on what's going on with, with every single show because um, I invested in company. I don't invest much, as I say, but I did invest in that. It was Patti LuPone. <laughs> 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 So all of the lead producers in the shows with which I'm involved, Jagged Little Pill Company, The Lightning Thief um, had its run on Broadway. That was, that was not really touched by COVID, thank goodness. But overseas, Be More Chill and uh, The Prince of Egypt, all of these shows and the ones coming down the pike, are the lead producers are doing a really good job of keeping everybody informed as to what's happening. Because that means I have to inform my investors that I've recruited, you know, which at this point is this circle of dear ones, you know, mm -hmm. of, of what's happening as well. Nobody's, everybody's waiting it out. Everybody understands, you know, that it's safety comes first and mm -hmm. that there will be alternative ways of entertaining ourselves as we're in quarantine. What, one, one of the things I've done is I have done a lot of voice work and much of it is uh, a recent is on iHeartRadio, I Read to Know, iHeartFamily, you know, kids. Mm -hmm. And I finally made a voice actor webpage, for instance. Oh, uh, I would be delighted to, to put it in the oh, show notes. Okay. Here's the thing that's so crazy, Liz, is, oh, I finally have time to make a voice actor website. Now I'm too shy to send the link out. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I was really thrilled to do was that this is hard because it was a very wonderful project, executive produced by famous singer and that I'm not allowed to talk about, but I was um, able to participate in that, singing with a famous singer in a virtual choir. Oh, um, one of those, one of those Brady Bunch videos. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of Brady's in this video. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So that was really wonderful to be involved with that. And I've done a couple of those. I've also just uh, this week, I have a poem that was on the Action Moves People United uh, album, compilation album that in 2018 made the top 10 in Billboard compilation album and it's my poem called as long as we believe and and roos the harpist and erwillian the folk celtic band were um and new age band were uh the music underneath that poem and i was able to present that to unesco's imun which is international model un just this week um oh, as cool. part of their cultural programming so there's things like that that i've been able to do that as well as you know the other the other work, which is literary and audio directing and producing audiobooks for these clients, and so there's things that I've been able to do, not prolific like you know stars do, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know enough to feel connected. I'm also keeping up on all of the developments that are happening culturally with 
what's going on in the world and what's going on in this country. And I'm supporting Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, the Actors Fund, Actors Equity as much as I possibly can as well. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I take care of other people and take care of myself too. That sounds good. If, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to find out a little bit more and, uh, about his or her personal goals and paths, um, are, are you available to do a little mentoring? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that I would love to, you know, as I said, since I was a late arrival, so to speak, a late bloomer, you mm -hmm. know, one of the things, and, and the world is different too, you know, because when you think of how I met Van Dean, it was mm -hmm. wrote to me. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, the Grammy portal, Gram, the Grammys had their own version of Facebook at the time. And he wrote to me and I responded to him and that's how we were able to meet in person. So that was technology, you know, pushing that, pushing that, you know, forward in a beautiful way. Uh, back in the day when I was getting started, we had mail. And we had phone calls and um, fax, woo, fax. <laughs> and, and so I'm happy to help. One of the things I did in the DC area when I um, sold my first film within two weeks of completion was help uh, Professor Randall Blair with his uh, film graduate students at American University. I had a program called Peripheral Markets in Film peripheral marketing in television and film. And um, I would teach the grad students what they could do to get their films and their scripts up and off the floor and out into the world. Wow. Because here they were spending, you know, $25,000 to go to grad school for film. And you need, you know, you can come out of there and say, yeah, I'm a film grad, man. I'm an American University film grad. But how do you take that knowledge? base and make it be fruitful for you. You didn't, you didn't go to grad school for film just because, you know, so yeah. I have experience in mentoring and I'm happy to do it. That would be great. So we will put your contact information or how, how, how would you like to be reached? Um, on social media, I'm available through all of the messaging. So, um, great. I, I gave you my social media information and I'm available through all of that messaging, probably great. in and Twitter would be faster only because okay. Facebook Facebook sets people aside and you know yeah great I will make sure that that's available for people um, anything that we haven't covered any closing remarks that you want to make sure we include what I would say as far as closing statements go and this very lovely time I've had with you Liz is to some of these things can sound a little trite and I don't mean it. I mean it in the purest of ways. Definitely listen to your heart and do, do the things that make you happy because then that way the path to those in whatever way that you define success will keep you happy as well. If you go into something that you don't really love, you may end up resenting the path that it takes to reach whatever zenith and benchmark you find for you, however you define success. There's a book that I read in the early 80s, in mid-80s, pardon me, and it was given to me. It still exists on Amazon. I looked it up the other day. A friend gave it to me when I finally quit the day job and decided to just be a rock and roll, all-girl band 
in the 80s. What can I say? Late 80s. Hey, we were cool. We were Rage of Angels. But anyway, the name of the book is Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. Oh, yeah. And I, and I remember going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I just, you know, I quit my job. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be a rock and roll girl. And But it was so true. It was so true. If you do what you love, the money will follow because you will make sure that you take care of yourself and that you take care of yourself and you're your own best steward as you learn whatever the ropes you feel you need to know and be open to the ropes, man, you know, to have that path to, to fun and success that you want. I couldn't agree more. My thanks to Mia Moravis. You can find out more about Mia in the show notes. I invite everyone to tell me what you've always wanted to try. Also, please take a moment to fill out a brief survey so I can find out more about you. You'll find it at lizsumner.com survey. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening. <laughs>